We're starting a new series, which I'm really excited about. We're starting a series based in the Nicene Creed. I don't always preach with no shoes on. Just every now and again, I just get hot. And it seems, it seems appropriate and helpful. Um, uh, but uh, we're starting a series uh, based on what we believe. That's why we've got the shiny light thing. And that's why we've got the uh, wooden uh, wall thing. Thank you. Like, may as well just do this all the time. <laughs> that's why we've got the wooden wall thing. And that's why you've got the uh, handout thing uh, in front of you. So if you've got a, a handout just in front of you, take it out now. It, uh, it's got a little Greek word on the top of it. And it's got space for you to write notes. Uh, you don't have to write notes. But if you pretend you write notes, then it makes me feel good about what I'm saying. So uh, this is intended for us to think through quite seriously and do a deep dive into what we believe and why we believe what we believe and why it's important to believe anything anyway. And I was uh, a young man just a few years ago. Uh, I was part of a church. And uh, as part of that church, I was part of a youth group. And the youth group was quite big and we used to like to sing songs. Sung songs all the time. And one of the songs that we sang went like this. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. Mm, mm. Uh, it didn't go, mm, mm, I just added that bit. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Believe in the Holy Bible. Believe in the Jesus of history. And they got really high and I couldn't sing the next bit. I believe in the living world. No, no, no. I believe in Jesus. And we used to sing it again and again and again. And we'd sing this thing. That was pretty good, wasn't it? We used to sing this stuff. And, uh, and you know what? I'm not sure I really believed it. I mean, yeah, of course I believed it. I totally believed in Jesus. I loved Jesus. I thought Jesus was amazing. I knew the stories of Jesus and I can get my head around Jesus. And I wanted to follow Jesus. But the God thing freaked me out. You know, if God is God and he's all powerful and he knows stuff about me and he sees stuff and he can do anything then that's a freaky concept and I was always kind of trying to placate God you know trying to do the right thing so he wouldn't get me because I saw him as some kind of scorekeeper God and the Holy Spirit well the Holy Spirit was just weird so I really wasn't interested in the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit did weird stuff and I really didn't want to be interested in, in that stuff so I wasn't really sure what I believed and you know it showed in my life and actually, if I'm honest, it showed in the life of, of the youth group that we didn't really know what we believed because we were insecure and we weren't really powerful and we didn't really make a difference and we hid away a lot and we didn't do an awful lot. You know, we had a lot of dreams and plans and we sang a lot of songs and we prayed a lot of prayers, but there wasn't a lot of fruit or output from our life. It's really important because what you believe in your heart and what you believe in your head causes the actions of your life which causes the outcomes of your life what, let me say that again what you believe in your heart is fundamentally important because what you believe causes outcomes and actions in your life which will have effect all around you the apostle Paul who was one of Jesus followers one of his brightest followers he wrote a number of letters um, in his kind of his longest, uh, most in-depth letter, his letter to the, to the Roman church, he said this in, in Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. 
For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, which just means set right with God, put in a right place with God. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What you believe in your heart affects the way in which you act and affects to a greater or lesser extent and then ultimately the total outcome of your life. So what you believe is fundamentally important. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to take, about eight weeks, we're going to take a look at what we fundamentally believe. Why do we bother coming here? What do we really believe about God? What do we think is going to happen in this world? What do we believe about ourselves? And it's really, really significant. It's a significant time to do it. I mean, you will have noticed that we live in a, in, in a world of massive shaking. Massive changes happening. And we just voted to leave the European Union. When we'll do it, who knows? But we voted to, to, to leave it. In America, they've got elections coming up and they've got a choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I don't envy them. If you're American, we'll pray for you. But you've got, you've got this thing going on. It's crazy in Syria that there, there is a devastating thing happening in Syria right now. The destruction of people and of nationhood. And it's, it's awful. When our, our best response seems to be able to bomb it. You know, there's something wrong in that. In North Korea, just this week, they, they tried out another nuclear weapon and no one knows exactly when they'll have the capacity to fire it on South Korea or, or, or anywhere else. There is the greatest migration of people since the, uh, the breakup of the Roman Empire ever happening right now across our world. There is chaos everywhere. And you know what I see? I see a whole bunch of people, in fact millions of people, desperately trying to find an anchor for their life. Desperately trying to find, what does this all mean? What do I actually believe in? What's actually important for me? What can I stand the weight of my life upon? I'm looking for something more reliable and solid than feelings and circumstances. Because feelings are transient and circumstances, well, they're changing the whole time. I want something I can stand the weight of my life on. People are looking for an anchor, but they're not looking into the anchor because they've kind of dismissed it. They kind of dismiss this kind of thing. They've kind of dismissed the Bible. They've kind of dismissed God as being relevant in any way, shape, or form. I was reading a statistic this week that said this. It was um, published by the Bible Society, and they did a, a massive survey. And they've worked out that only one-third uh, one of 15-year-olds, that's the age of my youngest daughter, one-third of 15-year-olds don't know that the nativity story is from the Bible. One-third. Or 15-year-olds. Don't know that. Now, you might not be surprised about that because they probably don't know a whole bunch of other things as well. But they don't know that Mary and Joseph, donkey and, or no donkey, uh, baby in a manger stuff comes from the Bible. It's God's word. We're living in a world where people just don't know stuff about God. And they don't know why they should believe. And they're not sure what belief is anyway. And so subsequently and consequently, people believe absolutely anything and totally nothing, sometimes at the same time. And, and, and what tends to happen then is, is subtly and subversively, all belief becomes equal. 
Because we can't be sure whether your belief is true or not, or whether we can rely upon it or not, because there are no absolutes. It's your truth or my truth or anyone else's truth. Just believe whatever you want. And so there is no foundation for people's lives and no foundation for people's souls. So people are running around searching for something, and we're supposed to have some answers. You know, I'm, if I might be even more controversial, I'm, I'm not sure the church in Britain knows what it believes about God. Really. I mean, I think some churches probably do. There's some great churches out there. But I'm not sure generally the church in Britain really knows what it believes about God. Because if it really knew what it believed about God, the, the, the belief of our heart and our mind would overflow into our actions. And actions would have consequences. And people would be getting transformed. And communities would be changed. And people would go, isn't it amazing? Yay, there's a church everywhere because they're feeding people and they're helping people and they're transforming lives. We'd be looking an awful lot like Jesus if we really believed the stuff in our hearts so it gripped our lives and so over the next few weeks all I want to do is take a look at a famous creed of the church we don't do much of the creed stuff or the liturgy stuff but we're going to over these next uh, few weeks we're going to take a look at what the church has believed for 2,000 years what is fundamental to who we are so that we would find a rock to stand on and a launching pad uh, for reaching out. Do you know, if I, if I do my job right and we do our job right because preaching is a community event, we are preaching right now. If you, if you don't listen well, I don't preach well. Okay, if we do our job right, then this is going to be an adventure of faith and we're going to come out of here launching missional communities and churches and a whole bunch of people get on fire for God because suddenly we get who we believe in and what this is really all about. So are you with me? Eight people are with me. That's really good. I'm doing well this evening. Are you with me? Brilliant. Well, let's take a look. Let's take a deep dive into the, the Nicene Creed. Okay, let me give you the background. The background to the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed was, uh, was agreed upon in 325 AD. And the background to the Nicene Creed was, is fascinating. Uh, the church was exploding. There was this thing that was happening all over the Roman Empire. It started in a backwater in a place called Israel. It was a, a bunch of ragtag fishermen and, and tax collectors and kind of the margins of society. And suddenly it started to take hold. And, and there was this viral epidemic of love and joy and compassion and truth and care. And the poor were getting blessed. And, and, and you couldn't stop it from household to household, from household to household. This thing spread like wildfire. At the same time, it was being persecuted like nothing on earth. At least two genocides happened in the early days of the church where emperors said, we just want to wipe these guys out. We'll throw them to lions. We'll light them up as torches. We'll just find every way to abuse this people. Until one day, in 312 AD, the emperor Constantine, three things happened to him almost at once. He saw a vision. He won a battle. And he had a mother who loved Jesus. And those three things happened almost at the same time and suddenly everything got flipped and the church which was being persecuted suddenly became kind of the majority in, in, in the Roman Empire and suddenly Constantine said everyone in the Roman Empire needs to become a Christian. And, uh, and it kind of happened so that by that time 50% of the known world were following Jesus which was quite cool apart from they couldn't agree what they really believed. 
Because you know what happens is that it's spreading and they haven't got internet and they can't talk to one another and they don't really know what, what one person is preaching and what other person is saying and they start to believe some weird stuff. And so Constantine says, this is no good. We're going to gather all these guys together, 325 uh, AD, in a place called Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey, northern modern-day Turkey. And it's on the Black Sea. And so all the pastors came together for a retreat. If it was today, we'd all drink kind of third wave coffee and talk about how cool we were doing our missional stuff, man. But then they talked about really serious things like who is God? And what do we really put in the Bible? Because they didn't have a Bible. Back in the day, they just had a whole bunch of stories about Jesus. We now call them Gospels, but they had loads of them. They didn't have four. They had like 20, 30 of these things. People saying, this is what Jesus did, and this is how Jesus acted. So they had to say, what really is the truth? Who were the eyewitnesses? How can we know? And they had some letters by a guy called Paul. They didn't really know that much about him, but he'd written all this stuff, and, and, it, and it was from church to church, and so they had them. And they had the Jewish scriptures, and they tried to put this stuff together. And then they said, how do we... How do we actually read this stuff? What's core to being a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And so they came up with this creed. And we're going to read it uh, together. Ever since that point, this has been the thing. This has been the thing that almost everybody agrees on. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're Catholic or Protestant or Baptist or Salvation Army, whether you're charismatic or reformed, or this is the stuff that we agree upon. This is the core of what we believe. And we're going to teach this thing through and we're going to say, what does it actually mean? So, can we read this together? Yeah, let's read. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and for the life of the world to come. Amen. This is the substance of our faith. This is what we believe. This is why we gather. And this was used to help correct people and help shape people. It was used so that we would know whether we were family or not family. Let me, let me try and explain why this is really important. When we start talking about what we believe, there are, are a number of concentric circles that, that, number of circles that help us begin to work out why we believe 
what we believe and what's important about belief. In the center, I think we've got this creed. We might call this dogma. This is what makes us Christians. This stuff about God, about one God, this stuff about creating stuff, this stuff about Jesus Christ, his son, this stuff about the Holy Spirit, this stuff about one church, this is what makes us Christians. So we believe this stuff, this is dogma. Then there is something called doctrines. This tells you what kind of Christian you are. So this tells you whether you're Protestant or Catholic or whether you're uh, charismatic or, or, or conservative, if that, they're two opposite things or not, what you, know, what, what, what you are and what you're not. This tells you what kind of Christian you are. Both these things are really important. And then there's something that I'm not really sure what the technical word is for. This is something like values and style. This tells you you're part of Central or part of... HTB or part of Hillsong or this is this is not as important as doctrines and certainly not as important as dogma but this will tell you what kind of church you, you, you are and then there's something that we all know it's called opinions and uh, and we've all got those and, and every single person in this room has different preferences and different opinions and different ways of viewing the world and that's totally cool the problem becomes when we start making our opinions our dogmas or our doctrines, when whether we prefer drums or not drums, whether we prefer organs or not organs, whether we like hats or not hats, or whatever the deal is, becomes central and core to our faith and we begin to fall out with one another. We stop being family. This is our DNA. This is what makes us family. This is our skin. I really should have no opinion about the skin. The way in which you practice your dogmas, the way in which you practice who you believe God to be and how that affects your life shouldn't be my domain. I shouldn't be saying, well, you shouldn't wear that and you should do this. The thing that I'm really concerned about and I will fight you around is the stuff we just read. That's what makes us family. And so over the next few weeks, I hope I'm going to try really hard to stick to dogma. I will occasionally tell you that I'm slipping into opinion and you may occasionally tell me that that's what I did. But that's what we're going to try and do because, we, because you see, until we can work out what is core for us, what is fundamental, what, would we, what, what hills would we die on, what would we go to the stake for, what is fundamentally important to us, it's very difficult for us to have security to stand on it so we can begin to speculate with it. Why do we believe what we believe. Why do we believe what we believe? Now, some people don't like creeds. I get that. Some people, when I was planning this series, said to me, well, we, why do we need creeds? We've got a Bible. This is, this is all we need. And yeah, I totally understand that, and it sounds like a reasonable comment. But the interesting thing is that the guys that met together in, in Nicaea also gave us this. <laughs> the guys that gave us the creed gave us the canon. And they gave us the creed so that we can understand the canon, so that we could have lenses through which we can read this and understand it and, 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 and work on it. And the, and the reason they gave us a lens was because you can read this and come up with some crazy stuff. I mean, really, check out some of the crazy beliefs that people have had because they've read that book. So we need some way of saying, is this a correct way of reading this stuff? The, the, one of the reasons they, they went to the Council of Nicaea was because there was a guy called Arius who was a priest who was um, uh, reading, reading the stories of Jesus and he was saying Jesus was an incredibly good guy but he wasn't God. 
So they met together and said, hey, we better make sure we believe what we believe, that Jesus really is the Son of God, because if he's not the Son of God, we may as well give up and go home. It's just a club we're inventing. So, we're going to go after this stuff. Eyes down, take notes, or at least pretend you are. We believe in one God. And that's all we're going to try and break, uh, bite off today. We believe. And it's massively significant that this whole thing starts with a we and not an I. A we and not a me. There are other creeds we could have chosen, and at least one of the reasons we chose this one was because this starts with a we. This is about us and millions and millions of us's. This creed stands in radical countercultural opposition to an individualistic, selfish culture. I, I doubt that we have ever had a culture as preoccupied by individual rights and freedoms than we have right now. And there's some good stuff around that, but ultimately it leads to a very, very dark place. And here's the thing, it's kind of infected the church. We, we kind of don't think it has, but it definitely has. I mean, check out our worship songs. I, I think sometimes we're more concerned with our personal response to God than we are with God. We're more concerned with what God is doing with us and how God responds to us and how we respond to God than, than God himself. So our worship songs are, are kind of I-obsessed, aren't they? I will offer up my life. I believe in Jesus. I love you, Lord. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's all about I. And it's not totally wrong, but your, your relationship with God is personal, but it's not private. You, you cannot perfectly reflect the image of God in you on your own because God is in community. He's in three persons. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're not created to be independent. You're created to be interdependent. You know, I sometimes wish, you know, we've done it occasionally, but I sometimes wish we could change the whole configuration of this building. And we could just do church in the round all the time. And I could stand and teach and the band could look in on one another or look out. I don't really care. But, but the reality is, it's a weird thing, isn't it? It's a total weird thing that we all sit in rows and look at the biggest screen in Christendom and, and sing songs about me and Jesus and Jesus and me. There may as well be no one else here. We just play a soundtrack. But actually, what would happen if we, we, we met in the round and we eyeballed people and we reminded people of who God is? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forgot, forget not all his benefits. He redeems my life from the pit and he's done yours too. That, that's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be encouraging one another about how good God is and what God has done for us. We're in this thing together. It's a me. It's not a me thing. It's a we thing. We believe. We believe. This is way beyond Baptist and Presbyterian or Catholic and Pentecostal. It's far more important than whether you get a Keswick or New Wine or Soul Survivor or none of the above. Help me, Jesus. It's, uh, it, it's, it's bigger than that. This is something that we have believed for generations, for epochs. Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 the writer of the Hebrews, he has this incredible litany or hall of fame of faith. 
And all these incredible people. And Noah who built a boat in the desert because God told him to. Abraham who left Ur of the Chaldees. Moses who regarded uh, being obedient to God as more important than fame. And all these incredible people of, of faith. And Joshua. And, and, and just, just these people after people after people. And then the Hebrews tw- chapter 12. We get included in the story. And it says, since then we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Since we, since we have a legacy, since we have a family, since they did these incredible things, let us throw off anything that's going to stop us running and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's get in on the story. We're part of a people, people. People who walked with God in the cool of the garden way back. We're part of a people, Genesis chapter 4, who began to call on the name of the Lord. I'm part of a people who believed the promise and heard the prophets and saw the Christ and believed in the name and started a movement that radically changed the world and is still radically changing the world. It's, it's a family thing. We believe. It's so precious. Rant over. But we get so narrow focused. We get so narrow focused. We get so dictated by culture. We get so dictated by what's happening right now. I I sometimes think that we as church are not just victims of our times, but captives of our culture. But we are surrounded by the ages and the tribes. Just, Just this summer, I have had church leaders from Denmark and France and England and Switzerland and America in my house. And I've been with church leaders doing incredible things in Canada and Macedonia and Syria and Iran. And I traveled this summer to Holland and to the USA. And I spoke with friends in India. And I'm on my way to New Zealand and I've listened to testimony about what God is doing in the Middle East. And I spoke with church family members who are working in Japan. And I can tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is in a good state. Whatever they say. The church of Jesus Christ is in a good state and God is on the move and he's not given up on his bride and we are the people. We believe in God and it fills me with confidence. It fills me with confidence that the God who began a good work in me is going to complete it fills me with confidence that the God who spoke to Moses can speak to me. It fills me with confidence that the God who smashed Jericho can smash through some of the strongholds in our city. It fills me with confidence that the God who changed a culture can still change a culture. Because we are the people. We believe. And believe is a huge thing. It's massive in this generation. To believe in anything. When, when, when the Bible uses the word believe, it has at least two concepts in mind. There are two, two Greek words that are coming up on the screen um, behind you. The first word is the word um, pisteo, which is the, the usual word that gets translated in the, from the Greek into the word believe or, or trust. And it has a very particular meaning. It doesn't mean the belief that you think it means. It doesn't mean I believe in you. It, it, it means I am not keeping any reserves. I am all in on this. I'm not allowing for margins. 
I am standing the entire weight of my life on the belief in my heart that there is a God in heaven who has a plan, who is very good and he's very great and he's for me and it's all going to work out okay. That's what faith is. That's what belief is. That's what we say when we say we believe. The, the second word is, is, is a different word. It's the word gnosis. And it's the word that gets translated again and again, knowledge. But it's not the knowledge that you understand either. It's a deep, intimate, relational knowledge. I believe in the God that knows me. And I know him. I know him so I can trust him. He knows me and has loved me and wants a relationship with me. So I am giving all of me, every part of me to him. I hold nothing back. In other words, belief is not just an intellectual assent to a set of values. It's a, it, it's a visceral, emotional, experiential uh, a response to a God who has given himself to us. I believe. We believe in God, this is really important stuff. I just um, spent about 10 days in the USA. And I was teaching in a, in a church in Kansas City. And I got to Kansas City on the Saturday. Um, and I was about to uh, uh, go into a whole day of meetings. And, uh, and this, you have to understand American churches. This is like huge. And I saw the car park. And the car park was like a mile wide. You know, and there was no one in it because it was Saturday morning. And then I saw a couple of people right at the back end of the car park, and I heard them before I saw them. They were fighting and arguing. They were shouting. I mean, really aggressive shouting. There was a guy and a girl. The guy was big. The girl was very small. And the guy got his hands on this girl and started to shake her. And he was shouting right in her face. She'd obviously upset him in some way. And then she got her phone out to show him something. He took the phone, smashed it on the floor and got in her face again. And I was with this other pastor who actually wasn't very tall or big. And, uh, and so we just said, well, we've got to go across there. And we, we walked across as quickly as we could in flip-flops. Uh, so we didn't feel very uh, armed for this uh, encounter. And we walked across to Jayla, the girl, and her boyfriend. And as we got closer and closer, she was sobbing and, and shaking and really upset. And I didn't really know what to say, but I knew I had to say something. So I just said to her, are you, are you okay? Can we help you in some way? And she said yes, but clearly she wasn't okay. And, and then the guy walked away, obviously embarrassed or intimidated. I like to think intimidated. <laughs> and, and then he, walk, he, walked, he walked away and then he came back again, obviously got a bit more courage and got in our faces and started to... And I looked at him, <laughs> thought this is going to go one of two ways. And, uh, and then we started to talk and he was getting aggressive and more aggressive and she was more and more upset and I, we encouraged her to, to move away. And, uh, and then I noticed for the first time that there was a car parked just about 50 yards away, and there was a guy in the car, obviously his mate. And for the first time in the encounter, it occurred to me that this was America. And he probably had a gun. And this was probably going to go no place good. And I ought to think of a backup plan. And so we, uh, we prayed quickly, moved Jayla away, and we walked quickly back to the church, and we called, we called the police. And... Um, and then the cool, the cool story is that she then eventually came to the church and 
she's been helped by that church and and she was in a dreadful situation the police did come and he was a believer and it was great but why did I do that why did I put myself in that position I'll tell you why not because I'm a hero in any way shape or form because I was scared but because of the deep belief in my heart that causes action I believe beyond the shadow of doubt in an interfering intervening God I believe he is in the business of transforming lives and restoring all things. I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that God is in the business of using his people to transform lives. We're his agents on this planet. I believe deep in my heart that God loves Jailer. And I believe deep in my heart that God wasn't impressed with what was going on. And I believe deep in my heart that you never meet anybody on this planet that Father God doesn't love, that Jesus didn't die for and the Holy Spirit isn't trying to win. I believe that. And I also believe that deep in my heart, I wasn't present in my head at the time, but I believe that God is bigger than the boogeyman and bigger than the American man. And if he wants to protect me, he's more than able to protect me irrespective of any Uzi 9mm on the scene. Because God is all-powerful, all-great, and all-good. And you know what it does? It gives me confidence to walk in this world. It gives me confidence. Just this past week, uh, Nikki and I lost our third daughter. It's kind of slightly um, uh, uh, irresponsible of us, I suppose. Uh, the, the first one went to America to study at university at age 17. One of them just gone down to Bristol to be an au pair. And the third one went across to Washington on whenever it was, Friday or Saturday, uh, to be away. And honestly, if I stop for a moment and think about it, I begin to feel a little bit anxious. You know, I had four daughters at home and now I have one. And, uh, and I don't know. I mean, one of them is at least three flights away from us. And it's, it's all, you know, suddenly everything's gotten out of control. But I don't feel anxious. Because I have a belief in my heart that God loves them more than, he, than I love them. You know, that he's got them and he's, he's, he's got them. And, and the actions of my life follow the belief in my heart. Why, why as a church... Do we bother planting missional communities and planting churches and sending people out to do crazy things? I tell you, it's, it's very, very tempting just to do this a lot. It's really tempting to, to do great worship, gather and speak and teach and inspire and do crazy stuff. It, it's really tempting to do that. But you know what? It's a belief in our heart that we have a God who is building his church. That we have a God who loves people. That we have a God who is deeply concerned about the 98% of people in Edinburgh who don't know this God. We believe in God. We believe in one God. I'll be quick. What, what, what the framers were saying when they, when they said we believe in one God is that they, that they were saying we're theists. We believe in God. But they were saying more than that. They were saying that we're, we're monotheists. We believe in one God. And saying that, they were saying we're not pantheists. We're not saying all things are God and anything is God. And we're not polytheists. We don't have a God for every aspect or every issue or every need because we have one God who deals with every aspect and every issue and every need. One God above every God. We believe in God. And when we say that, what we're saying is we stand in a Jewish tradition. You know, one of the earliest prayers that any young Jewish boy or girl would learn is called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It's the, it's the last thing a, a young Jewish boy would pray before he goes to sleep at night. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. There is something mystical and magical about one God in three persons. About one God who can deal with every aspect of life. This is massive. To believe in one God in, in, in the liberal West, in a pluralist word, world, where there are many gods and anything is God, in a secular age where nothing is God, in an autonomous age where I am God, in an age when everything cries out that there must be a God beyond our gods. It's a big thing to claim. But you know, to believe in God is philosophically sensible. It is. My, my mind, for instance, tells me that God exists. We, we live in a world where everything that we see and touch, everything around us is caused by something else. So there's, there's nothing in this world that is not caused by something. That piece of paper was caused by, by wood and it was caused by manufacturing process. That chair you're sitting on was, was caused by something. It was caused by design. Uh, everything that we, we have in this world can be claimed to be caused by something else. And, uh, and everything in this world is deteriorating, like the tiredness of that baby right now. Look, to, I mean, look around. You're deteriorating. I'm deteriorating. I'm only 25, and I look like a bit older than that because things are happening with, with me. Everything in this world is deteriorating. Everything is caused, and everything is deteriorating. The question is this. What caused everything what caused something rather than nothing? Did it just happen? What, what caused it? What caused that something? And, and, and the answer to that has to be, well, if there is a prime mover, then that prime mover must sit outside of this universe, outside of this world, be bigger than this world, be other than this world, because everything in this world is caused by something else. So what started the whole thing in the first place? Who started the whole thing in the first place? And could it be that that thing, or that one, that person, that being that started the whole thing in the first place is not deteriorating, but actually is the one that starts everything? And as soon as you begin to think like that, you end up with something that sounds an awful like a classical definition of God. He's uncaused. He is independent. He is eternal. He is divine. My mind says that God exists. And my eyes say that God exists. I mean, check out Scotland. Those of you who've come from somewhere other than Scotland, welcome to paradise. Apart from rain and midges, this is paradise. I mean, it's beautiful. Check out the locks and the glens. Check out the mountains and the heather. Check out the deer. Check out the beauty of this place. I mean, have you, have you ever seen a hummingbird? Not in Scotland, you haven't. But have you ever seen a hummingbird? You'd have to ask yourself, who made that? It's so beautiful in design. It's so perfect in design. When you look at this world, you have to say there must have been a designer in this world and that designer must have been caring, compassionate, clever and incredible. My eyes tell me that God must exist and my heart tells me that God must exist. Why do I have this kind of conscience inside me? Is it just because my parents told me it was right from wrong? But why have every civilization that's ever existed agreed upon a set of common principles about what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong? Where did the moral code come from? Who, who placed it in our hearts? Where, where, how did it happen? And why, and why do we always want to worship something? Why does every civilization that's ever been found by anthropologists, 
have some way of worshipping? Why are there ziggurats? Why are there temples? Why are there totem poles? Why are there churches? Why are there mosques? Why are there synagogues? Well, well the, the world would give a whole bunch of different answers to, to, to that. But the Bible would say it's because God created humanity with a God-responder mechanism in their hearts and lives. That's why you ache. That's why you long. That's why you want to worship. That's why even in this post-God, post-Christendom age, we worship all the time at concerts, at football matches. We worship celebrities. We worship sports stars. We worship movie stars. Because we are inbuilt with this desire to worship something. And Augustine says our hearts will never find rest until they rest in God my heart tells me that God exists it's rational to believe that God is we believe in one God over the generations different tribes, different languages, different contexts we have put our trust and our ambition and our lives and our hopes not in culture which is fickle and will change. Not, not in tradition, which gets stuffy and becomes religion. Not in feelings, which will lie to us and will let us down. I can't place the weight of my life on feelings. Not on reason, which will do, develop and will grow. But on God, who is an anchor for the soul who is the prime mover, who is the designer in chief, who is perfection itself, and who has a plan for my life. We believe in one God. Do you know, Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, Jesus, who the Bible describes as being the one who fleshes out God for us. So if you want to check out what God's like, check out Jesus. Jesus... Um, Jesus starts talking to his followers, his disciples. And he says to them, in a world where they were very tempted to be anxious, he says, don't be anxious or upset. Don't be anxious. Trust in God. Believe, believe in God. Pisteo in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am. In other words, he says, you don't have to be anxious in this world. All you have to do is take the weight of your life and stand it on the belief in your heart that there is a Father in heaven who loves you. One God who has a plan for your life. And he has a house. His house is the place of the absence of anything that's incompatible with his perfect nature. In other words, his house is a place of no more sorrow, no more pain, no more heartache, no more abuse, no more prejudice, no more separation, no more divorce, no more bankruptcy, no more crisis, no more ISIS. And his house can be your home. We believe in one God what does your heart believe what does your heart believe and does it give you confidence to walk through this world with security and have a God adventure let me pray for us
just really aware there were a lot of words in that. But you know, we have this kind of audacious belief that God speaks his word to our lives. Just what we need for the season that we're in. So why don't you just talk to him? Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe this is the first time. Why don't you just talk to him? Why don't you tell him your stuff? Tell him the things you're anxious about. Tell him the things that you doubt. He can handle it. Tell him the questions that you have. And invite the God who is, who started everything, who is the beautiful designer, who is the one that we desire to worship. Ask him to come meet with you. Can't think of a better time to do it. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Come speak to our hearts. Come school us in the knowledge of God. Come encourage us. Come into our chaos and bring your order. Come into our fear and bring your life. Come and reveal yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name.